Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker. I am the host and creator of the Bible in Life, as well as of the listener's commentary on the New Testament. And I am grateful for you. Glad that you're joining me on this episode. Here on the Bible in Life, our goal is to provide what I like to call blue jeans theology. And what I mean by that is Bible teaching, theology that is in the language of everyday life, set in the context of everyday life, so that you and I can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. So that's what we're all about. So I'm glad for you, glad that you're joining me here. I pray this is helpful to you. Before we jump into the content for today's episode, just one little note. If you're looking for some guidance and some tips and some help for how to read the Bible well and how to apply it to your life, I have a, a small free ebook on my website that uh, really can help. It gives five strategies for hearing the text well and five strategies for heeding or doing what it says well. And uh, that book is about 30 pages, completely free. So go to johnwhitaker.net right on the homepage. If you scroll down, you'll see it there and you just put in your name and your email address and you'll get access to that right away. So if that sounds helpful to you, you might want to check that out. All right, over the last uh, couple weeks on The Bible and Life, we have been in a series that I've simply just given the, the title, Your Life's Focus, and I've been offering some reflections out of the book of Philippians, and some of the things that Paul writes in Philippians are really targeted at helping the Philippians and us by extension and application to focus our life on Jesus and the gospel. And the section we're going to look at today is out of Philippians chapter 3, and it forces us to ask this question. What do you really want in life? Like, what do you want so much that it would be worth giving up whatever is necessary in order to get it? That's really where Philippians 3 is going to go. And to kind of set up Philippians chapter 3, uh, I am one of those persons who likes biographies, or at least I like stories from people's lives, and maybe not whole biographies. One time I mentioned I was kind of curious about Teddy Roosevelt. My mom got me this massive thousand-page biography of Teddy Roosevelt's life. Well, that was a little more than I was banking on. I just like some of the stories from his life. I actually have a massive biography of President Garfield that was published in the year 1881, the year after his assassination. Um, and it was passed on to me from my grandpa, who kept a bunch of the books that had been in the family for uh, uh, generations, and, and then figured since I was a book lover, he would hand them down to me before he died. And so I have all these old books from our family. One of them is this biography of, of President Garfield. I'm that guy who, if I watch a movie and it says, based on a true story, well, then I'm going to be the one that goes home and begins to uh, look it up online and see, well, how accurate is it? How much creative license did they take or not? So that's just me. I like biographies. And the reason I bring that up is because Philippians 3 is a bit of biographical information from Paul. It's a little bit like autobiography. Not exactly, because it's more like reflections out of Paul's life experience. And that's the context. We're looking at how Paul views his life as he looks back on um, his conversion and tells really how that event precipitated a total reorientation of his life. That when he met Jesus, everything changed. 
And so I want to focus on just part of Philippians 3. We don't have time here to look at everything. If you want all the details, again, you can go to the listener's commentary on Philippians and you can read or listen to everything I've had to say on Philippians chapter 3 there. But here I just want to reflect on a little part of it out of the middle from verses 7 through 11. Let me just read you those verses and then we're going to go back through them and kind of reflect on them. And so Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, says this, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, so that I might gain Christ and might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And as I said, this is like Paul's testimony of the events as he looks back on it when he met Jesus and how it it brought about a complete reorientation of his life. There was that moment when Paul was opposed to Jesus and eventually met Jesus. It happened, you can read it in Acts chapter 9, it happened as Paul was actually traveling from Jerusalem about 130 miles to the north to Damascus, and he was specifically going to arrest Christians, put them in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial for blasphemy. That's what was going on. And so he wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, your most natural candidate to become a believer of Jesus and follower of Jesus of the year. And uh, that was about the year 34 AD. And so in that year, 34, 35, right around there, um, about four or five years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven, Paul is actually opposed to him, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. Because if Jesus was really alive, then everything the followers of Jesus said was true. And that would mean that Jesus really was the Messiah. And then that his crucifixion wasn't the end of his story and wasn't him being cursed by God. And his resurrection had really happened. And that led for Paul to a complete reorientation of his life. And so what he says here in Philippians chapter 3 is reflecting on that and what he learned from that and how that completely changed the direction or the trajectory of his life in that moment. So he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And when he says whatever things were gained to me, you've got to look back in the preceding six verses to kind of get an idea of what he's talking about. And in those preceding six verses, what Paul is talking about is his resume. It's the kind of thing that a one Jew would share with another Jew to show how good of a Jew he was. That's what Paul gives in the preceding verses to verse 7. He, he, uh, he has all his accomplishments and all his privileges and everything that pointed out what a good Jew he was, what a good godly uh, follower of the Torah he had been. That's what you put on a resume. All your stuff, right? 
Um, and for Paul, prior to meeting Jesus, the stuff on that resume was what validated him. It was what justified him. It was what made him count and made him um, a good person and a valuable person. And Paul says, whatever those things were, whatever was gained to me, all the things, his accomplishments and his privileges that he had listed off, those things, he says, I have counted as loss for the sake of Jesus. And so for Paul, all his privileges, all his accomplishments in his earlier life, everything that his culture said made him count, everything that said, man, look at him, he's successful, all that kind of stuff, Paul had put his confidence in those things. He had found his identity and value in those things. And now he looks at those things in, in comparison to Jesus. Now that he's met Jesus and realized, I was wrong about Jesus and I was also wrong about all these other things. And so he now he's moved them from being in the asset column of his life to the liability column of his life. He's counted them as loss. And though we're not, I'm not the Apostle Paul, you're not the Apostle Paul, right? We all have um, aspirations and dreams. We actually live in a culture that says these are the things that mark a, a, a successful person, an accomplished person. Here's the kinds of person, right? They, they go to college, they get a good degree, they get a good job, they move up the ladder, whatever it is. They have a certain standard of living and um, Right? They have a certain kind of family. They have their freedom to travel. They can uh, visit wherever they want. They have certain entertainment and recreation. Uh, they have so much free time they can do that. Right? Whatever it is, every culture has certain things that it deems as important and marks you as successful. Um, all the pictures that you see in your culture's magazines and movies and commercials and on social media, here is a person who's really uh, achieved the good life. Mm. Paul says for him, when he met Jesus, he all of a sudden realized, oh, that is not it anymore. And he moved all those things to the lost column. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, more than that, I count all things. All, not just some things, all things to be lost in comparison to Jesus. Notice what he says, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Anything Paul was tempted to rely on, any good thing compared to the value of Jesus wasn't worth it. If it was going to get in the way of knowing Jesus, then it had to be removed. Then it was loss, he says. And when he says he counts it all loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, he's not just talking about knowing about Jesus. He's talking about an experiential knowing, like an intimate knowing, like deeply and personally knowing him, living in partnership and relationship with him. F.B. Meyer, a kind of famous Bible teacher from a while back who is well known for kind of his reflective uh, and personal knowledge of Jesus. F.B. Meyer wrote this. He says, we may know, we, we may, we, right now we can, we may know Christ personally, intimately, face to face. Christ doesn't live back in the centuries nor amid the clouds of heaven. He is near us with us, encompassing us on our path in our lying down. And he's acquainted 
with all our ways. And so we can know him personally. He's here right now with us. And so we can know him, not just facts about him, but we can live in close personal union and friendship and partnership with him. And Paul says, that's the greatest thing. And so that's the, the, the one great asset. And everything else compared to that is lost. No matter how good or how great it seems, the value of knowing Jesus is greater. And so he counts all things to uh, as loss compared to simply knowing Jesus and living for Jesus and walking in partnership with him. And so as I reflect on that and Paul's own testimony here, here's, here's the question that strikes me for you and for I. Would we be willing to compare and evaluate what you're living for and compare it with knowing Jesus? Would we do that? Would you do that? Would you evaluate what you're currently living your life for and compare it to, to knowing Jesus Christ, your Lord. Paul says he, he did that and he found out there was no comparison. And for Paul, it wasn't just empty words. Look what he continues to say in the second half of verse eight. He says, not only does he count them as lost, but he says, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Like I actually have done that. Like Paul actually had uh, when, he, when he realized Jesus was real and decided to give his life to him, it came at great personal cost. He lost all sorts of status, all sorts of relationships, um, all sorts of comfort, all sorts of community. Like all the things that seemed to matter, Paul lost those things when he attached himself to Jesus. Because the, the people he was in relationship with, the social networks he was a part of, the things that people esteemed and valued, Jesus was at complete odds with all of that. And so Paul doesn't just count him as loss. He indeed genuinely experienced the loss of all things. And he says, but it's no big deal because I count them as rubbish so that I might gain Christ. Notice that, as rubbish, which rubbish works, but it's sort of a weak translation. I mean, rubbish, particularly, you know, that's, that's even British English, which means just garbage. And that's kind of it, but it's actually a little more crass and a little stronger than that. I was in Haiti a number of years ago doing a pastor's conference. So there was a team of people that I was with. Most of them were going to be leading medical clinics in outlying areas uh, around the mission state, uh, station. And I was going to be there at the mission statement le uh, station leading this pastor's conference. So typically there were about 100, 120 people that lived at the mission station between orphans and staff and all of that. But on this occasion, you had this whole team that was with me, and then you had about uh, 90 or so Haitian pastors and their wives. And so there was now double the number of people that were there. And then to make things really bad, the city had, um, where this place was at, had decided to cut the water main that brought water to the mission station because they were doing a road project and it was easier to cut the water main than work around it. And so for about a week, the mission complex did not have water. And the first three days we were all there, there was no water on this mission complex. Now, that affects you in a lot of different ways. One of the ways it affected us was we had no toilets. And so we had five-gallon buckets 
with plastic bags in them that we used as a toilet. And it's hot and it's humid. And just imagine. This particular word that's translated rubbish, that's the kind of stuff it refers to. That more than anything else. Paul says that he counts everything as that, what was in that bag in a five-gallon bucket. He counts everything as that just so that he might gain Jesus. Because the value of gaining Jesus, the value of being in partnership with Jesus, the value of living in union with Jesus far exceeded anything else. And so giving up the other stuff, no problem. I can totally do that because that other stuff, well, that's just, you get it, what's in the bottom of that bucket and bag. And Paul says he he get, gladly counted them as all of that so that he might gain Jesus. He might, might really have Christ. What would you give up to gain Christ? What's he worth to you and to me? Um, would you give up career or retirement or security or status or comfort or ease or the American dream? Would you give up the future you had planned for yourself uh, and your dreams because you believe that this is where Jesus uh, Jesus needs you and you're going to live your life in partnership with him here? What would you give up for the sake of Christ? And Paul says he suffered the loss of all things just for that, just to gain Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 9 and says, and that I might be found in him, meaning on the day when everyone has to stand before Jesus to give an account for how they spent their life, Paul says, I want to be found in him at that moment. On that day when every knee bows, I want to be found in him. And he says, I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Like what what you rely on to give your life meaning and to validate your life, right? That's the thing he's talking about when he talks about his righteousness and the thing that's going to validate his life, justify his life. Right, like, uh, and oftentimes it can be our privileges and accomplishments, just like it was for Paul prior to meeting Jesus, as Tim Keller says. Uh, it may be our talents, it may be our moral record, or our personal discipline, or our social status, or our heritage and marriage, and our kids' success. And Tim Tim Keller says, when we absolutely have to have those kinds of things then they serve as our main hope and our main source of meaning and happiness and security and significance, then those things are our righteousness regardless of what we say we believe about God. And Paul says, I don't want to rely on that. I only want to rely, I don't want to rely on my own resume. I only want to rely on the righteousness that God can give by faith in Jesus. That's what he wants. This union with Jesus, this trust in God through Jesus. He says, I'm going to rely on that. Uh, that's going to be the thing that I bank on, that my validation is in, that my uh, measure of success comes from. And then in verses 10 and 11, once again, he restates his life's ambition. He says, verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings. Notice that. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, meaning live in partnership with his sufferings. Uh, Take part in his cross-shaped kind of life. So I lay down my life for others like Christ laid down his life for me, being conformed to his death in order that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, when the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was just Saul of Tarsus, um, up-and-coming Jewish leader in Jerusalem in the year 34 AD, before he met Jesus, before all of that actually happened, um, there are some things that Paul didn't know. Um, In AD 34, when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, here's what he didn't know. He didn't know that uh, at some point he would travel from Antioch of Syria to Cyprus and then into Galatia, telling people about Jesus. In AD 34, when the Apostle Paul met Jesus, he didn't know that that trip into Cyprus and Galatia would be his first missionary journey, and there would be others. He didn't know that. He didn't know that he'd plant more than 15 churches in 30 years. He didn't know that over the course of the next 30 years of his life, he, he would write half of what would become the New Testament. He didn't know that he'd be thrown into prison multiple times, beaten with rods. He, he didn't know that five times he would suffer 39 lashes from the Jews, and then on one occasion, they'd actually try to pummel him to death with rocks. He had no clue that he would endure several shipwrecks. No, in AD 34, when Paul first gave his life to following and promoting Jesus, he didn't know any of that. But here's what he knew. He knew that Jesus, because of who Jesus was and how Jesus introduced himself on that road to Damascus, here's what Paul knew. He knew that Jesus was the king of heaven and earth. He knew that he wanted to know him. If he was was God's Messiah and king, then he wanted to know him and follow him and serve him and obey him. He wanted to live in partnership with him. He wanted to know his agenda. He wanted to know Jesus' plans. He wanted to know Jesus' mind and heart. And he says, in that moment, he counted everything else as utter trash and filth compared to knowing Jesus like that deeply and experientially. He knew in that moment, in AD 34, that Uh, He wanted to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and whatever else that meant, including the fellowship of his sufferings. And that became the theme song of Paul's life. And so each day after that, Paul lived that out. And he lived it out to such an extent that the pages of his life stories became filled with these God-pleasing moments of self-giving service to Jesus the King. What Paul learned on the road to Damascus and what he reflects on here in Philippians chapter 3 is that Jesus is the only asset, the only treasure worth living for. He's the one item that is worth complete recalculation of everything in our life for. And so uh, what Philippians 3 Seven and following really says to us, in fact, Paul appeals to this later in chapter three, is to imitate his example, to imitate his example, Um, like make it our ambition to know him, just like Paul made it his ambition 
to know him as well. How do we do that? We do that through faith. That means through trust and loyalty and allegiance. Faith is inherently a relational word. You have faith in something or faith in someone. You put your confidence in them. You trust them. You determine that you're going to be true and loyal to them. That's faith. Um, And so um, make it our ambition to know Jesus through trusting him and being loyal and allegiant to him. Um, Make it your ambition to, to know Christ. Like, offer yourself to him in trust. Fix your mind on him. Live in partnership with him. Read the scriptures to know his values and his priorities and his ways. Saturate yourself with him. Talk to him regularly and check in with him throughout the day. Get involved in the kinds of things that are important to him. And demonstrate your love and your affection for him. And imitate him. Imitate him. If we're going to know Jesus, we imitate him. Right? Paul says he wants to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the sharing in his suffering, that his life would be shaped to be like Jesus's life where you lay down your life for others. And so Philippians chapter 3, as we reflect on what is our life's focus, Philippians chapter 3 really forces us to say, man, what am I really living for? What am I living for? And Paul sets forth his example to us and says to us, make it your ambition to know Jesus. Make it your one true great ambition to know him so that uh, at some point, as people look back on your life, like we look back on Paul's, every page of our life story would be about knowing Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to those of you who make this possible by your generous and faithful support. This ministry, both Bible and Life and the listeners coming to is completely made possible by the generosity of folks just like you. So thanks a ton for that. If you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below. You can go to johnwhitaker.net. You can click the Give button, and you can set up a a one-time gift right there. You can give a monthly donation right there. Uh, But thanks a ton in advance for your support. Thanks to all of you who pray and faithfully support this ministry. I pray you have a wonderful week in Jesus. I pray you seek him first and all of us together continue to grow in what it looks like to live like the Apostle Paul, where our deep heart's ambition is to know Jesus and to imitate his pattern for life. Hey, have a great week. I look forward to talking with you again next week. 